Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me this morning. I hope everybody is having a good Sunday morning and that you're ready to get into the Word of God this morning. I just love studying the Word of God. I love His Word, and therefore I love to study it. I love to teach it. So you're going to get more teaching on Sunday Morning with Love and Action than you will preaching. And my prayer is always that God will use it to bring glory to him and that you, the listener, will find it beneficial and encouraging as well as challenging. And anyone who's listening who's not a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I pray that the Lord will just work through his word and just touch your heart this morning and that today will be the day you give your life to Jesus. And those who are believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, I pray this word will challenge you, will just encourage you, and just make you want to get more into the word of God as well and just to live out his word. We are to be great commission Christians and living out his word, obeying him, telling others about him, making disciples. That's all involved in being a great commission Christian. And this morning, our main text is going to come out of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, that awesome sermon that Jesus gave. And I encourage you, if you hadn't read it or if you hadn't read it in a while, sometime today, sometime this week, read Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. It's just awesome, awesome teaching by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But before we get into the message this morning, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word. Your word is just amazing, and your word's alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, we just pray that as we open your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit will just teach us, lead us into all your truths. And I pray, God, that each one of us will apply your word to our lives and that we will be doers of your word and not hearers only. Jesus, you tell us everything we need to know. And I just pray that we will all just consume your word be people who are readers of your word, who are studiers of your words, who are your disciples, your students. And Lord, that we will just have a greater hunger for your word and tell others about you. And Father, I just pray for each person listening today. God, you know where each one's at. And Father, you know each need, even before we ask. But like a good father, you desire for us your children to come to you. And so, Lord, we come to you and we put these needs up in your hands, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that you tell us in Matthew 6 that we seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. These things we have need of, you will take care of. So, God, may we all seek you first before anything else, before anyone else. So, Father, we give you this time. We ask you to bless it. Pray you'll be glorified in it. And I ask you to help me to teach this word this morning, Lord. And I ask you, Father, to give us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. And it's in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. We love you so much. Amen. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount was no doubt the most authoritative message the people of that day had had ever heard. They never heard somebody preach and teach with such authority. And it's still the same today. I mean, this message is so, so powerful, as is all of God's Word. And his message here shows us how his disciples are to live. He gives us all kinds of incredible instructions on how we should live this life as disciples of him. And the overall theme of his sermon, Sermon on the Mount, is true righteousness. And during his message, Jesus mentioned something that's been 
debated, well, more than mentions, he teaches something that's been debated ever since he spoke it. And that comes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And let's read that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Jesus says, Don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow, that is powerful. That is a lot right there in those few verses. And one of the main debates over the years has been, did Jesus abolish the law? And is the Old Testament still relevant? Well, my quick answer to those two questions is, no, he did not abolish the law. And yes, the Old Testament is still relevant. But let's take a deeper look at the scriptures. Jesus says clearly that he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets. He came to fulfill it. And there's some debate about what law Jesus is talking about here. Is it the law of Moses? Is it the law of the New Testament of the gospel? The laws that Jesus really, he takes the, the law of God and he really expands it. So what law is he talking about here? Through studying this, I believe it's really clear, and I'm confident that the law he's talking about is the, the law of Moses. You see, Jesus lived the law of God that was handed down through Moses. He fulfilled it. And here in Matthew 5, Jesus confirms the law as being of divine authority. Think about the crowd he was speaking to. We know his disciples were there, and most people in the crowd would have been Jewish. And Jesus is talking about the law of Moses here. Now, when Matthew wrote this, he was writing, the big purpose of his writing this gospel was to teach the Jewish people of that time about the Messiah, about Jesus, and that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one they have been waiting on all these years and also to minister to the Gentiles to show how the Gentiles are now grafted into the family of God through Jesus Christ. But I think about the crowd listening to Jesus and hearing his description of the kind of person God blesses. And they were probably saying to themselves and to each other, how can we live up to that standard? Because they knew the Torah. They knew God's commandments. And they had to be thinking and saying, we could never attain that kind of character. Because they know that God revealed his standard of holy living through the law of Moses. And the Pharisees, they defended the law and they sought to obey it. But Jesus said that true righteousness that pleases God must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So to the common people there listening to Jesus' message, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the holiest men in the community. And they had to be thinking if they, the scribes and the Pharisees, did not attain that kind of righteousness, then it has to far exceed ours. Therefore, what hope do we have? I can just picture the people thinking this and saying this to one another as they listen to Jesus speak. But Jesus, 
he makes his message clear. And I like what the Bible exposition commentary says about the scripture. It says that Jesus explained his own attitude toward the law by describing three possible relationships. So we're looking at what Jesus says in verses 17 and 18, where he says that he did not come to destroy the law. So we can seek to destroy the law. That's what the Pharisees thought that Jesus was doing. His authority didn't come from any of the recognized leaders or the schools of that day. Instead of teaching from authorities, as the scribes and Pharisees did, Jesus taught with authority, and that's a big difference. He taught with authority, and the people had never heard that before. And it wasn't only his teaching and his authority, but also in his activity. Jesus seemed to defy the law at times. He deliberately healed people on the Sabbath day. He paid no attention to the traditions of the Pharisees. And our Lord's associations, people he hung out with often, also was contrary to the law. He was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And it was actually, though, the Pharisees, the ones who were blaming Jesus, saying that Jesus was not obeying the law and that he was trying to abolish the law. It was actually the Pharisees who were destroying the law. It was by their traditions, they robbed the people of the word of God. And by their hypocritical lives, they disobeyed the very law that they claimed to protect and uphold. Their rejection of Christ when he came to earth proved that the inner truth of the law had not penetrated their hearts. It's the heart of the matter that God looks at. And Jesus made it clear that he had come to honor the law and help God's people love it, learn it, and live it. Remember, he said he didn't come to abolish it. And he also would not accept the artificial righteousness of the religious leaders of that day because that's exactly what it was. It was artificial, and it was basically only an external masquerade. It did not reproduce itself and others in a living way. It brought heaviness upon the people. What their righteousness did, their artificial righteousness did, it made them proud, puffed them up. It didn't humble them, and it led to bondage, and it did not lead to liberty. So you see the difference when we talk about the grace of God, salvation through Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, he was saying, look, I'm not going to burden you down with everything these Pharisees and religious leaders are doing. I'm going to set you free from that. And so Jesus wants to give us freedom. He wants to give us liberty. So one, we could seek to destroy the law, but that's not what Jesus came to do. Two, we can seek to fulfill the law. And Jesus said that's what he came to do. He came to fulfill it. And Jesus fulfilled God's law in every way in his life. He fulfilled it in his birth because he was made under the law. Galatians 4, chapter 4 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. So we see he fulfilled God's law in his birth. Every prescribed ritual of a Jewish boy was performed on Jesus by his parents. So, yes, he grew up Jewish, and he certainly fulfilled the law in his life, for nobody was was ever able to accuse him of sin, of doing anything wrong. While he did not submit to the traditions of the scribe and elders, he always did what God commanded in the law, always. He never failed at it. Then the father, we know, was well pleased with the son because we read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and Matthew 17, verse 5, where God says that, that he is well pleased with his son. Jesus fulfilled the law in his teaching, which brought him 
often into conflict with religious leaders. As we read throughout the Gospels, they're always trying to catch him in saying something that was against the Word of God or even against Rome because he want, they wanted to get him in trouble somehow, some way. But they never could pin something down on Jesus because he didn't sin and he always obeyed the law of God. But Jesus, he broke away from the man-made traditions and opened the word of God to the people in a new and living way, in a way they had never experienced it before. But it was his death and resurrection that Jesus especially fulfilled the law. He bore the curse of the law on the cross. He fulfilled the Old Testament types and ceremonies so that they no longer are required of people of God. And he set aside an old covenant and brought in a new covenant. Remember in Luke chapter 14 when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and in verse 20 he says, And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus is bringing in a new covenant. Through the shedding of his blood is a new covenant being made for us. And because the law was fulfilled in Christ, we no longer need temples made by hands or religious rituals. We don't need any of that anymore. Because remember what Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, verses 23 through 26. He told her, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the question is, how can we fulfill the law? By yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing him to work in our lives. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to abolish it, right? And as followers of Jesus, now how can we fulfill the law ourselves by allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives? Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit enables us to experience the righteousness of the law in daily life. Now this doesn't mean we will live perfect lives like Jesus did. But what it does mean is that Christ lives out his life through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the only way we can experience the righteousness that Jesus is talking about here on the Sermon of the Mount is through the power of Christ. Praise God. Jesus, wow, he's done everything, everything for us to give us forgiveness of sin, to give us eternal life with him, to bring us back to the Father. What Jesus has done for us is just really overwhelming. And the more that I study his word, the more that I pray to him, the more that I strive to live the type of life that he wants us to, man, it's just the more I fall in love with Jesus. He is he's beyond awesome. And I pray this morning that if you don't know this Jesus, that you will know him today. Let today be your day, I pray. But let's continue with this teaching here. Number three, we can seek to do and teach the law 
because we read that as Jesus says that those who relax as one of the least of these commandments and teaches others do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we can seek to do and teach the law. Second Corinthians chapter 3 makes it crystal clear that our ministry is a ministry of the new covenant. And let's read that. Second Corinthians 3 verses 5 through 6. Paul writes, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So we are, our ministry is the ministry of this new covenant that I mentioned that Jesus was saying that he was bringing in by the shedding of his blood. Now, there is proper ministry of the law that's not contrary to this glorious message of God's grace because, again, he didn't abolish the law, right? And the Old Testament is still extremely relevant for today. Jesus wants us to know more of the righteousness of God, to obey it and to share it with others. And I said that the Old Testament is still very relevant for today. It is because the moral law of God has not changed Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament epistles and commanded to believers. The exception is the Sabbath commandment, which was given as a sign to Israel, and you can see that. Read that in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 14. An important thing to remember here is we do not obey external law because of fear. Today, as followers of Christ, we obey an internal law and live because of love, because we love our God. We love Jesus and we want to be obedient to him. The Holy Spirit teaches us the word and he enables us to obey. Sin is still sin and God still punishes sin. We have to remember that. The MacArthur Bible Commentary says, we are not to think that Jesus' teaching in the verses that follow intends to alter, abrogate, or replace the moral content of the Old Testament law. He neither gives a new law or modifies the old, but rather explains the true significance of the moral content of Moses' law and the rest of the Old Testament. The phrase law and prophets speak of the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures, not the rabbinical interpretations of them. Fulfill means fulfillment in the same sense that prophecy is fulfilled. Christ indicates that he fulfills the law in all its aspects. So Jesus, he fulfills the moral law by keeping it perfectly. And we read and we know he never sinned. He kept the law of God perfectly. He fulfills the ceremonial law by being the embodiment of everything to which the law's types and symbols pointed. And he fulfills the judicial law by personifying God's perfect justice. So we see that God's laws in the New Testament has not been nullified. Jesus, he did fulfill them, and in him we receive our righteousness. However, God's moral law has not changed. As I mentioned earlier, nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament and commanded to the followers of Jesus. Keeping the commandments doesn't give us righteousness before God, though. It's not salvation or righteousness by works. That righteousness only comes from Jesus. However, because we love God, we can keep his commandments and be obedient to him. 
And when it comes to righteousness, Jesus says ours should exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. So what did he mean by that? And as I mentioned earlier, in those days, the scribes and the Pharisees were looked at as the most holy people in the Jewish community. So as I mentioned, the common folks must have been thinking, how in the world are we going to do that? Because the scribes and Pharisees apparently don't have enough righteousness because ours has to exceed them or else we will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The righteousness Jesus is teaching is internal, not external. Verse 20, Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word exceed there means to be over and above, to be in excess. So surpassing that of the Pharisees. And the word never, or in the King James translation, it reads, in no case. But that's a double negative, which strengthens the denial. It means not at all. So we're not getting in unless our righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. So what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, on one hand, Jesus was calling his disciples to a deeper more radical holiness than that of the Pharisees. And that's for you and me as well if you're a follower of Christ. The Pharisees, they tended to soften the law's demands by focusing only on the external benefits, looking at the outside things, the external things. And we see that today, don't we? People looking on the outside. But Jesus, praise God, he looks at the inside. And in the verses that follow, Jesus explains the full moral significance of the law and shows that the righteousness which the law calls for actually involves an internal conformity to the spirit of the law rather than mere external compliance to the letter. Jesus was not introducing a new way to get into heaven. Rather, he was helping people to understand what Hebrew Scripture was talking about, in part because of the false teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And again, those were the ones who were boasting about obeying the law and upholding the law, but it was their teaching that people thought they could earn their way into the kingdom of heaven by their efforts or even by their heritage. This was the kind of righteousness that the scribes and Pharisees were prescribing, and Jesus was calling them out. Jesus made it clear that the kind of righteousness was not righteousness at all. It wasn't nearly enough. He told the disciples and all who were listening that Their righteousness needed to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. No one can can earn that kind of righteousness externally to enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we all must look to Messiah, Jesus, to provide it for us. And instead of seeking an external righteousness or the approval of men, Jesus was saying that we need to seek the authentic internal righteousness that was acknowledged by God. Jesus helped people understand that they did not get to determine how one becomes righteous in God's sight. The scribes and Pharisees were leading people astray. They were suggesting that one could achieve righteousness on their own. The Hebrew scriptures had revealed from the start that righteousness come by faith in the Lord. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, And he, talking about Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And in Habakkuk, Chapter 2, verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. So it's, it's about faith. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. And soon Jesus, after preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it wouldn't be long until he would pay the price for the sin for everyone. Everyone then, everyone now, everyone who's ever lived. 
And all who believe in him have his righteousness and become citizens of the kingdom that one day will be revealed. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. While we wait for his kingdom to come to earth, he has given us much to do. We can be thankful that we have the righteousness needed by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. The only righteousness by which sinners must be justified is the perfect righteousness of God that he imputes to those who believe. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he forgives us, and his righteousness is imputed to us. What I'm talking about there is when Jesus was on that cross, the one who never sinned, but he took our sins, so it was like he committed all these sins, and we get to receive forgiveness, and we get to receive his righteousness like we have never sinned. When we give our lives to Jesus, God looks at us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He looks at us as though we've never sinned. That's amazing. That's mind-blowing. But that's Jesus' righteousness imputed unto us. And it's from that point that we give our lives, when we give our lives to Jesus that he tells us and commands us, actually, follow him. He says, follow me. We obey his commandments through the love we have for him. If we're trying to obey out of the attitude of we have to. You know, that's wrong. That's the wrong attitude to have. Because we read in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome, and they're not. Oh, I promise you they're not. Let me ask you, are you a born-again believer this morning in Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him and received his forgiveness, received his righteousness? If not, I pray today is the day you give your life to him. I just, oh, I pray that today is your day, that you call out on the name of Jesus and be saved. Just call out to him the best you know how. He meets us right where we're at. Just ask him to forgive you of your sins. He tells us to repent, which means turn from our sinful ways, turn to him and give our lives to him. The word of God says to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. So confess and say, Jesus, you, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And I believe, God, that you raised Jesus back to life on the third day. Help me to live for you. I give my life to you. And he will come in and he will give you a new life. You will be reborn. You'll be a new creation spiritually. And if you do that, and maybe you don't know what to do next, I encourage you, contact me. My phone number here at Love and Action is 334-494-4995. 334-494-4995. You can email me at ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. Ken.tuck at loveinactionministries.com. 
I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to give you some next steps too. And I would just really encourage you to get plugged into a Bible teaching, disciple making church where you can grow in your faith and be in the word of God. If you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, then I encourage you follow Jesus. Let's obey his commands. And again, it's not salvation by works or through external obedience, but if we are truly saved, then we will obey God's commands out of pure love for him, out of deep appreciation for everything that he's done for us. And he is almighty God, and his commandments are still relevant today. He's traded our righteousness, which is nothing for his. Jesus has given us his righteousness. So let's live in his righteousness, and let's teach others to do so as well. Well, that's a lot to unpack this morning, but we have run out of time And I just pray that you would read over, again, read the Sermon on the Mount. And what we read today was Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I just encourage you to read that and just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you as you do. And be in the Word of God. Oh, it's so good. And the more we read, the more we study, the more we fall in love with our God and realize how even more awesome He is. Well, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining me this morning on Sunday morning with Love and Action. I hope the rest of your day goes great and that you got a wonderful week coming up. Remember always that Jesus loves you so very much. And I pray, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.